Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The shepherd of Israel sent a star to guide the wise and a child to topple a tyrant. So God, this day make us wise enough to seek you among the least of all children and shrewd enough to trade our treasure for the gift of eternal life. But most of all now, make us humble enough to seek you in forgiveness, to reconcile us with your grace and mercy, and to seek the forgiveness that makes our hearts and souls whole. I invite you to pray together in one voice, prayer of confession. Gracious God, This is the season that reminds us to consider the meanings of your appearance among us. The Magi followed signs and portents to the place of your birth and gave what they could to the family that provided your earthly home. We confess that we have been slow to attend the signs that point to your presence in the world and less generous than we might be to those who suffer the tyranny of poverty. Forgive us, we pray, when we have been indifferent to the light and truth that breaks from your word. Send us home from our every encounter with the love of Jesus by a different way, a new way of healing and hope-making. For we pray in his name, and open ourselves in this silence to his touch in our hearts and minds. Amen and amen. Please pray with me. Illuminating God, you are the one who calls us to be stewards of your light. May your spirit illuminate us this day and bless our reception of your holy word. Give us attentive ears, widened eyes, and open arms to receive the wisdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, who you send to guide us in our journey to be the disciples you call us to be. Amen. Amen. The scripture for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and the glory of the Lord will appear over you. Nations shall come down to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you, your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading for this epiphany, this feast of Revelation, is the consummate 
text celebrating God's epiphany among us from the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through the Word, and without the Word not one thing came into being. What has come into being in the Word was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through the light. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of human will, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, close to the Father's heart, who has made God known. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. It was the last day of an old year, a few years ago now, and the late afternoon sky was gray with a promise of snow waiting to fly, something new to come. As I shut the car door behind me and walked along the line of cars already parked on the street to the front door of a certain house in a neighborhood on the other side of Boston. A clean new sheet of time was freshly spread out before us, a new year of possibilities to imagine. And I had a set of Patriots jammies wrapped in, oops, sorry, Patriots, <laughs> wrapped in penguin paper under my arm, my treasure to add to the epiphany of sorts that was already in progress inside that house. It was the last day of an old year, and I was late for a party and the world was late too, late for an appointment with its destiny of peace and goodwill, late in its awakening to the cries of children on the wrong side of the tracks or of the fence or of the wall, late in rising to the meaning of the fires blocking out the light of the sun on the other side of the planet, late in time 
Behold him, come, goes the verse of the carol. Late in time, I took the front steps, two at a time, jammies in hand, to greet a new baby who'd come not a moment too soon, with winter swelling and ready to break over all our heads. The sight that was waiting for me in that house, in a neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, changed the way I see Christmas. There were perhaps 40 people packed into that modest urban living room, all members of our little city church, filling every chair and thickly carpeting the floor. In the first moments of adjusting my eyes to the indoor light, it was the stillness of all those people that struck me. The more remarkable, as I noticed in the second instant, that at the core of this human carpet, there was a knot of children, knees and arms and fingers intertwined, heads on laps. The hush of the room emanated from its very center, where it was the children who seemed to be holding the silence, children who are, though so often, our center so seldom our peace. <laughs> but it wasn't until the third instant, as I added my parka to the mountain of coats in the front hall, that I noticed the most important thing of all about the room. In this particular house, there is a stretch of wall that separates the front hall from the living room. So that as you come in the front door and look left, there's one corner of the living room that you can't see from the entryway. And everyone in the living room was looking together toward that one corner of the room that I couldn't see. So that the most important thing for me to see about the room was that I couldn't see the most important thing. There being not a single spot of floor on which I could even so much have planted a foot to make my way into the living room, I handed my penguin package down into the crowd to someone and watched it pass wordlessly and disappear behind the wall, almost without breaking anyone's attention, toward the unseen apex of this thick tapestry of lives woven where, as I could hear, presents were being unveiled. Of course, I knew before I ever stepped into that house what there would be to see there. I knew, even as I marveled at how the sight of it had hushed and entwined so many lives, that it was Tom and Karen sitting around the corner, just home from Latin America with their long-awaited, newly adopted son, Daniel, on their laps, introducing him to his family of faith, Daniel from the south, angel of a strange, drooling sort, to be our bridge from an old time to a new time, to be our youngest lamb, to take up his post at the doorway where years touch end to end. But there in the hallway, it dawned on me that what I was really seeing was a pageant of the nativity. You would have recognized the characters from pageants you have known, 
There were small angels, and I use the word generously, <laughs> cherubim and seraphim of various ages, their wings folded, though, into invisible mode, with half-eaten cookies lying limply in their hands as they bore witness with saucer eyes. And there were shepherds without bathrobe costumes or crooks, looking suspiciously like the parents among us, Tim, Marsha, Sarah, Newell, Lucy. With the weary joy of parenthood etched in a post-Christmas sort of way on their faces as they watched and relived all over again the wonder and the terror of a child newly arrived. And there were even Joseph's men and women too, whose courageous choices to build different kinds of families made them parents to no children, parents to all children. Holly and Anita, Doug and Steve. All of them magi, wise women and men too, who'd learned enough of struggle and responsibility in their lives to keep a hopeful eye on the stars and a wary eye on the powers and principalities of this world. Each of them having in some way heard the promise, arise, shine, your light has come for the glory of the Lord has been revealed again and all flesh shall see it together. All of them having followed tidings of great joy to this ordinary living room, late in time, behold him come to look with delight. No, not just delight. To look with reverence at something around the corner that I couldn't see. So there at the corner where two years met was the Dorchester Nativity the day Daniel was born unto us from the struggle and fear of a place far away. Born in the shadow of the tyrant poverty with all the world being taxed by one empire or another. And there at the cusp of ends and beginnings was the kernel of meaning, meaning that gives the Bethlehem story its life. The birth of the Holy Child enables us to see around the corner. We can't see the Holy Child with our own eyes. The angles of all the intervening history are too many and too sharp. But we see the people who see it. We see the people who look at the people who look at the people. All the way down the trick-mirrored corridor of the generations to the place around the corner of time where something happened once that changed us all. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, the story says. And though we can't see around the corner to make eye contact with it, we see the light it bears reflected from face to face down the facets of the generations and hear the unwrapping of the gift in all the grace and truth that they reflect. And so we behold its glory. And is the world really redeemed because a baby was born once upon a time into poverty at the edge of nowhere? 
as desperately as the world needs to find its way out of the messes we've made. What the world nevertheless chooses to replenish its hope with is, of all things, babies. What a curious strategy, halfway between funny and sad, to put these little bald creatures up against secretaries of defense and bonus-saturated CEOs and, Christ, and climate crisis deniers. And yet, and yet signs and portents of hope to come are indeed being born all around us, even now. Little pudgy faces with fathomless eyes, eloquent as ever the eyes of Jesus could have been, each a facet waiting to reflect the light of grace, each a story in which you can listen again for the truth. The baby who was born once in royal David's city. The child sitting among the teachers in the temple and asking hard questions. The young man whose eyes were sad, whose hands were those of the poor, as poor he was born. Whose gaze meets yours down through the generation. This Jesus, whose face you'll never see, but never forget either calls on you to keep faith with the future. The baby who looks at you from the lap of the Madonna, any Madonna, brings you face to face with the future. And the face that cries that the redemption of the world is still unfinished. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did, he gave the power to become children of God, to sit together on the floor of history with lives entwined in the reflected light, and behold, there is joy in the birth, but still suffering in the world, and the redemption is begun, but not finished. A friend of mine will be having a baby this spring. In her Christmas letter this year, she wonders out loud, how to understand her willingness to take such a risk. She writes, I've had several conversations, honest and hard ones, about why we're bringing a tiny brown human earthside into a world that feels so apocalyptic. My honest answer is that my gratitude in action for the resilience of this child's ancestors means that it's not time yet for me to decide that this decade is where the story ends. I am relentlessly, indomitably hopeful that another world is possible, and I'm determined that we can make it so. And then she leans on some encouragement from an essay by Ricardo Levens Morales. No one knows how to raise a child, but we do it anyway. We don't get it right. The essential thing is that we don't give up and walk away. Don't get me wrong. It is important to learn and improve and become wise in the ways of struggle or of parenting. But that comes with time. It comes after the idea of not being in the struggle no longer seems like an option. 
Christmas pulls our vision around the corner. Because otherwise, all the singing, all the giving, the traditions don't amount to much more than simply an exercise in nostalgia, a project of historic preservation. The particular genius of Christmas is that Jesus enables us by looking back to see ahead, to see around the other corner of history, to the place where history is headed, the place where another world is possible. Is it sacrilegious to suggest that where history might be headed is a place not unlike a living room in Dorchester? where lions and lambs and children and parents all lie down together and couples of all kinds and colors fall in love with the delicate, holy mystery of life and nations play with nothing more dangerous than Legos on the floor. Not often, I admit, are we granted such visions. But now and then, You'll walk out of a tired old year into someone's living room, say, and find yourself for an instant at the heart of the universe, gasping before nothing so ordinary as the advent of another baby perched on the leading edge of new time, with nothing more joyous than the baby's sounds in your ears, nothing more compelling in your heart than the baby's call to you to help Jesus make a world safe enough for there to be a future in. Nothing more glorious in your heart than Jesus' call to help the baby grow up in a world that is relentlessly, indomitably hopeful. Unto us, this child is born late in time, Behold him come. Amen.
be seated. Welcome to First Press this Sunday. I am happy to see each of you, many of whom I haven't seen since last year. <laughs> it is good to see each of you today. So that we might greet each other by name, I invite you to sign our friendship pads and sign them down the aisle to those seated next to you. Guests or visitors, if you are here for the first time or the first time in a long time, I ask that you clearly write your contact information so that we might reach out to you in the coming weeks. In addition, you may see many of us wearing name tags. If you don't have one, if you've lost yours, if you can't find it, any other words that means you don't have one, I invite you to purchase one on the website or through the church office. We come knowing how abundantly God gives to us, so we give our offerings with gratitude. We come knowing how God provides for our needs, so we give our offerings with faith. We come knowing that God uses what we bring to spread joy and love in this world. So we give our offerings in hope. Would the ushers please come forward to receive our offering? You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He was born to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. In him we have seen your glory. He lived for you, spoke your truth, and showed your love. Lavished with gifts from the Magi, he gave his life for others. Baptized by John in the Jordan, he poured out his mercy for all. Turning water into wine at a wedding, he transformed sorrow into joy. In his death on the cross, he overcame death. Rising from the tomb, he raised us to eternal life and made us a new covenant by water and the spirit. So this day and this bread and, and this cup, we celebrate something we can't quite understand. But because God has made a house at this table, because God satisfies our hunger in the most unlikely places, because God comes to be with us now and always. So it's with this expectation that we come to this table to taste and to see and to know that God is here today, now. Now, Lord, remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Holy Spirit, come into this bread and this cup. Transform these ordinary objects as you change our hearts to shape and form your world with the joy you promise. Pour your grace upon us so that we overflow with your love. Help us to remember how a newborn baby might grow into a little child that would someday turn to his hope-filled friends in an upper room and say, Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood 
of Christ. And by your Spirit now make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in this ministry in every time and place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be his body in the world. Illumine our hearts, O God, with the radiance of Christ's presence, that our lives may show, show forth his love in this weary world. Send us to befriend the lost, to serve the poor, to reconcile our enemies, and to love our neighbors. Steady this wobbly and fragile world, O Lord. Stabilize our governments, curb our enthusiasm for violence and warfare, and set before us all the road to peace. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, who in the gift of Jesus Christ also taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.